This show is presented by SAP. Who am I and how am I feeling? I'm Clive Owen and I'm great, thanks. What if businesses could really understand how their customers feel? It's a thing. It's SAP Experience Management. For more, go to sap.com xm. You are listening to The Bird Calls. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. All right, what's up, Pels fans? Welcome to the Bird Calls podcast. I'm your host, Preston Ellis, and today we are recapping what could have been as well as what will be on Friday night in the Smoothie King Center. Now, to help us do all this, we're joined by our friend and our frequent guest of Crescent City Sports, Mr. David Grubb. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. Always a pleasure. We are just talking off air. Uh, I just recently saw Avengers, and David is hyped for Deadpool Part 2 and debating whether or not we should take young children to it. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. <laughs> to help us talk about the Warriors, we have from the Warriors World, as well as Light Years Podcast, that he also hosts. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. I hope I said that right. Mr. Andy Liu, thank you for joining us, sir. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. You know, I'd rather talk about the Avengers for an hour if you guys are down for that. No spoilers here. I'm actually flying down next week. If the Pelicans make it to game six, I will be in town and I will be at the game. But the the actual reason that I'm flying to New Orleans, my dad's about 77 and I love him to death. And we both we we get our kicks off really terrible action movies. And the Avengers actually is quite good. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it so much that I'm flying down just to see it for a second time with my old man to get his reaction to it. That's that's how much I thought of the movie and how much I think he's going to enjoy it. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about all that later at the end uh, during final thoughts. Let's go ahead and talk basketball. We're going to start with David. David, the Pelicans seemingly gave pretty much all they had in this one. They settled just short, pulling to within one on a Rondo three at 99 to 98 before a 9-0 spurt gave the Warriors a definitive advantage. And then there was the six foul on Nikola Miritich ending, pretty much ending things for our heroes. 11, uh, 11 ties, 13 lead changes, 47 minutes played from Drew Holiday, 43 from AD. They cleaned up the boards. They played better defense. They dominated the fast break and in the paint. And still, it just wasn't enough. Did we see the best punch the Pelicans have to offer last night? Um, I don't think so. Uh, you know, the Pelicans played much better in a lot of the areas that we wanted them to improve in from game one. But the one thing that they didn't do well in game two was the thing that I think cost them the game. It was their shot selection. Um, and and it started in the first half. They had the wrong players taking the wrong shots at the wrong times in too many situations. And I think if they had gone into the half um, with a lead instead of trailing uh, by two, I think it's a much different ball game psychologically for the Pelicans. And uh, I, I don't think, uh, you know, the runs that the Warriors go on in the third quarter possibly happen. Uh, it's just it was it was the decision making was the most surprising thing last night, especially with Rondo having as many turnovers as he did. Yeah, definitely. And he's obviously referring to Solomon Hill, among others, but a shot selection. Uh, the Pelicans went to some ISO in the second quarter, but they they 
mainly kept away from it. Their actions were limited in the second quarter of game one, but they did a little bit better job in game two. But six shots from Solomon Hill. I tweeted at one point that he was uh, second in terms of shots most taken by the Pelicans, trailing just Drew Holiday at the time. And of course, he went just one from six. But to add on to some of those numbers, uh, they were pretty much comparable with what the Warriors did throughout the game. Rebounding was about even 54-58, assists 33-36, steals, blocks, 13-point shooting. Both teams managed 13 shots, turnovers 14 to 16. But Andy, the Warriors chose to bring Steph Curry off the bench after demolishing the Pelts without him in Game 1. Steve Kerr expected a more resilient group from the Pelicans, but that didn't stop him from bringing him off the bench. He responded, of course, with 28 points in 27 minutes, and he's the story of the day right now, although he did have six turnovers. Now, the Warriors have largely underwhelmed this season, and I mean that by their standards, with injuries galore, with 58 wins, down from their average of an unconscious 70 over the past three years. Are the Warriors now back to the height of their powers at just the right time? Yeah, I I think you answered the question. (laughs) <laughs> I think so. I think it I think last game was when they they got there defensively and um that that's easier without stuff on the floor, right? Cuz that way you can just play on a string easier with five guys that can defend at all levels. Um but their identity isn't that necessarily. It's that combined with what they can do with the on offense, which is to make any defense no matter how good you are look pretty um foolish. Now, I don't think necessarily the Pelicans are the best defense in the league but they have a guy that can protect the rim and then he can also get on the perimeter and then they have two guards um in drew and rajon rondo that i actually expected to be a little better off the ball um they kind of get lost a little more than i thought but still two guys that can lock down right and outside of that the wings aren't so great but still if you have guys that can defend the top the perimeter as well as the rim you would think they could defend and that really you could see that with the warriors when Steph wasn't on the court for the first seven minutes or the first yeah seven minutes, they struggled. I think they scored like 10 points. And then the moment, moment he got on, that was, they started running pick and roll with Draymond at the top and that was over, right? There's two guys, you got to jump at the ball. And then there's two other guys that can shoot in the wing in the corner and playing KD. And then you have Draymond rolling to the rim. So that's their identity on offense too. So I think to your point, whether, uh, they are at full powers. I think maybe not yet. Maybe they still need a game or two. I don't think they get there until Houston, but I think that's their, that's their game plan is to just warm up with the first two rounds and then get their peak powers. I do think though um, that was not, neither of those, those games were the Pelicans best effort. I think AD's going to go for 45 in one of these games, whether it be game three or game four. And that's going to be, I mean, that's AD's one of my favorite players in the NBA. So <laughs> um, that's, that's going to be their best effort. And uh, so far, so far Draymond's done a good job on him, just kind of hacking him a lot, to be honest, but also just being stronger, um, you know, being strong down low. He's able to push him out, um, kind of like how people do to KD, just push him out of the paint, um, which is what Draymond is doing. So we'll see if AD can adjust. I'm sure he will. And uh, it's just a matter of how long it's going to take him to get there. Yeah, definitely. And Draymond did a great job of getting super low on on AD and using his forearm to create some space, keep AD getting out of the paint <laughs> in that comfortable spot. Uh, he's he's playing the game the right way. Uh, you're not getting the calls. You can't get mad at him. And I will talk about officiating. It's just something necessary that a lot of people want to hear us talk about. Uh, of course, the disparity, 59 to 20, famous. Even the talk shows are talking about it right now around the horn and PTI. But what I want to get to uh, right now, David, something that we talked about two days ago was the play of the Pelicans bench or lack thereof 
of. And um, Andy was just talking a bit about how some of the Pelicans perimeter players uh, didn't do as great a job fighting over screens. It kind of got lost in the shuffle. But one guy who I was very impressed with was Etwan Moore. And while he didn't shoot spectacularly going just five of 13 from three point range, he was four of eight, helped create a lot of spacing and did a really admirable job on Clay Thompson. Now, Steve Kerr and Clay after the game uh, were, were very calm about things. They said that those shots are going to go in go in and Nolan some some nights you know the ball just doesn't bounce your way but adding on to that the Pelicans other contributors check Diallo Darius Miller Solomon Hill Ian Clark Darius Miller and Solomon Hill specifically have just not been good as of late Ian Clark his shots are not falling uh he's in a dry spell the past month we we asked the question will all five starters have to play 40 minutes to win this game and it ends up that they did and it still wasn't enough David is this bench ever going to bounce back I just don't see where the matchups are for them to do that, to find their rhythm or the temperament. And that's been either the issue. Um, Like with Darius Miller, the talent is there. We know that. But the temperament has not been there. His decision-making on both ends of the floor, uh, he seems hesitant on defense. And on offense, once he puts the ball down, if if, uh, the Warriors send somebody at him, once he puts the ball down, he's not making decisive plays with the ball. He's not either driving to the basket or making a good pass. He's getting caught in the middle a lot of times. With Ian Clark, he's just not able to stay on the floor defensively. Um, so it doesn't even really matter right now whether he can shoot. And and Diallo gave them a couple of minutes, but you know, that was in really some scramble time. It wasn't in a, in a in the flow of the game. It was, you know, desperation for the Pelicans at that point. We talked about it. We said they, you know, I said they needed 20 to 25 points from the bench, and they didn't get that. They got 15. If they had gotten 20, this would have been a tie game at the end of regulation, possibly. So they have to get something from the bench. Um, I don't know how that happens, but I would say for Solomon Hill, his goal has to be, A, he can't shoot shots early in the shot clock. I mean, in the first quarter, he was taking threes with 17, 18, if not 20 seconds on the shot clock from the top. He's either got to live in that corner, just like a Bruce Bowen or, you know, where other teams hide their corner shooters, and he's got to live in that corner and pass the ball, get it out of his hands quickly if the shot isn't there. And then once it, it goes up, He's got to be the one who goes back because he's the hardest uh, player on the Pelicans at switching ends. And um, I think that's where he needs to go instead of trying to rebound because he just doesn't have the explosiveness to rebound well against the Warriors lineup. Yeah, definitely. And let's continue on with Clay Thompson uh, with Andy. Of course, I just mentioned four of 22 of 11 from three point range. He was one of the, the biggest contributors for the Warriors who did not play well in this instance. Kevin Durant, 11, 23, Iggy, five of eight, Draymond, seven, 11. And then, of course, Steph Curry was five of 10 from three point range. But Clay Thompson, uh, everybody knows the story on him. He's got one of the quickest releases in the NBA that I've seen. He doesn't need very much space at all to work over a screen and get up a three point shot. And yet last night didn't play particularly well do you think it's something that the pelicans scouted and managed with backcourt players like drew holiday and etuan Moore, or do you think it was just a matter of it just wasn't his night uh i think clay does this thing where he'll just regress but with him like with all shooters they'll regress but with him he kind of just jacks them up anyway so regardless of he's probably the most consistent performer the warriors have Outside of like of of all the stars that they have, and I count Iguodala as one because once the postseason starts, he's basically a star. Out of those five guys, he's the most consistent defensively and offensively, and that's good and bad, right? Good, he's consistent when he shoots well, he keeps shooting. Defense, and, and then if he shoots bad, he keeps shooting anyway, 
Like at the end of the game, he chucks up those shots because, well, he chucked them up if he was hot. And if you make them, it's over, right? If you miss them, it kind of gives a little breathing room for the Pelicans. But he's the most consistent guy. I mean, Draymond up and down, Steph um, up and down as well sometimes. And then you got KD um, who coasts as well as Iguodala who just coasted the entire season. So Clay's the guy who's a little bit underrated on this team just in terms of he don't need extra shots and he just keeps doing the same thing day in and day out. But the problem with that is he doesn't really have a, a kind of, you could think of it in terms of analogy, he doesn't have a filter. Right? He's not going to realize, hey, I don't have my shot today. Maybe um, I shouldn't shoot this as quick as I should. Maybe I should get other guys involved. That's not as in his DNA, and that's fine. They just have to live with those games. The Warriors have to live with those games, and they got away with one. Right? As you were saying, the Warriors got away with one because they had a bad clay game, and they got a win out of that. So um, if they get a good – you're probably going to get a good clay game and a good KD better shooting from three game at some point, and Steph isn't going to shoot that great all the time. But – um, things will regress. It's just the, the issue for other teams is with the Warriors, you can have one guy regress, but then you'll have two other guys that pick it up on offense. So it really becomes impossible impossible because they don't really have an off game from that standpoint because they just have too many guys that can shoot if they play their best players. Yeah, the Pelicans simply have to play their best game in order to beat these guys, and you can't expect all five of these guys to be quiet in this right. In this version, it was just one guy and six uh, turnovers from Steph Curry that even allowed the Pelicans to be in this one. With that being said, uh, something for Grubb. Drew and Anthony Davis, of course, they combined for 89, or, or I should say 90 minutes on the night. And Anthony Davis, we talked about the matchup with Draymond Green, shot just 4 of 13 against him. Dre was very physical, kept him away from the shots that he likes. Uh, Dre was quoted before the searing as saying, you, you can't stop a superstar. What you have to do is just force them into taking tough shots and live with the results. But both these guys lived in the paint, uh, 24, 8, and 8 for Drew. AD had 25, 15, 5 assists, 2 steals, and 3 blocks. With that being said, I, I shouldn't say just 49 points, but just 49 points from these two stars who simply carried them through the, the Blazer series, of course, uh, combining for 90 points in Game 4. Are we getting the best out of these two guys? Uh, grade their performances in, in Game 2 for us. Well, I think, you know, both of them – were inconsistent. Drew came out and was misfiring really early and um, was taking a lot of threes, which is uncharacteristic of him. He usually takes no more than three a game. And he took what four in the first quarter. Um, That was very unusual. And it seems as if the Pelicans have not found a way to keep getting Anthony the ball in a consistent manner. Uh, One of the things you and I have talked about and Ollie and I uh, talked about a lot has been that the Pelicans don't repost AD. They'll give him the ball, and we've seen, you know, Draymond will force him out. They post him up, and then once it's gone, it never finds its way back to AD. There's never a cross screen to free him up and get him on the move towards the basket. A lot of the shots that he took yesterday, they may not have been jump shots, but he took a lot of falling away shots. He took a lot of shots in the lane that were, you know, going to his left and pushing the shot back to it with his right hand. So he was taking uncomfortable shots and the Pelicans have to find a way to get him in transition again, because he didn't get a lot of transition buckets. Uh, uh, you know, the alley-oops are not coming in the numbers that they came against Portland. So you're, you, if you can't rely on those, they've got to find other ways to get AD the ball in transition. And the same with Drew. It felt like there were times where he kind of conceded the offense it's fine that they got the that the numbers that they got, but um, you know I think Rondo scored more than you would have liked him to score, um, you know, and I think because Miritich again was hampered with his fouls, you didn't get the points out of him, and those things typically free AD and Drew up to score more. 
uh, and they just aren't getting that because they're not getting five guys in cohesive movement right now on the offensive end. So I think that that has affected AD and Drew um, as much as anything. It's just it's it's there's not a, the same rhythm that we saw in the Portland series with the Pelicans offense. Let me ask you a follow-up question, Grub. Uh, I saw a lot of mm-hmm. isolation basketball from Anthony Davis, and of course, he's one of the best players in the world, one of at least the top three, in my opinion. Uh, but we saw a lot of the time, like you said, he took it from the post, and he just simply charged that Draymond Green or whoever seemed to be on him and and you know tried to throw it up there, and sometimes it went in, sometimes it didn't. But I didn't feel like there was, there was enough development. Uh, you've got four guys on one side of the court while Anthony Davis just tries to take this guy off the dribble. So, too, in the first quarter, Drew Holiday did a really magnificent job of throwing throwing his body into defenders and then throwing the ball up with his off arm, like right under the Mm -hmm. basket for a high percentage look. Do you feel like these guys kind of went away from the most successful version of their game in this one? Yeah. And, and that's the, the been a bothersome thing is that the Pelicans, you know, do have these moments where they forget who they are. Um, It seemed like they were so concerned with keeping up the pace that they forgot who they had to feed while they were creating that pace. Uh, and I just didn't see, you know, it's it's it felt like they were saying to themselves, we want to be aggressive, so let's keep going. But the aggression was not with forethought. And to play ISO basketball, I think to the against the Warriors plays into their hands because they are all long and they can get back to their man very quickly. So when you give them that opportunity to to isolate, you're actually playing and you're making it much easier for them. You need to make them move. You need to make the ball move to get guys out of position. And the Pelicans are still struggling with that. Andy, we finally come to the topic that everybody wants to hear about, uh, other than (laughs) officiating, and that's Draymond Green. Uh, Of course, the three biggest uh, instances, of course, the the wrestling takedown of Anthony Davis, the the jawing in Nikola Meritich and with Rajon Rondo. uh, But other than that, he simply is playing terrific basketball. 20 points, 12 rebounds, 9 assists, uh, 3 stocks, uh, 2 steals and 1 block, or, or vice versa. I can't remember which it was. But uh, like you said, he's managing the offense at the top of the key. He's playing great defense on Anthony Davis right now. Uh, he was a bit quieter in the regular season, specifically with his three-point shooting. But he seems to be you know, drilling a good number of them when they matter. And right now, uh, with a team that has you know, three all-star or four all-stars, I should say, if you include Andre Iguodala and, you know, two of the previous three MVPs, it kind of seems as if Draymond Green is the best player in this series. <laughs> he, uh, he is by far the most important player on that defense and it isn't close, but the Warriors have a ton of great defenders. They have, they have Iguodala, they have KD when he's locked in is unreal. They have Steph, who's a good defender. He doesn't mess up. They have Clay, they have Sean Livingston, Right, even David West is good. Looney is solid. They don't have any holes on defense, but if you take out Draymond Green on a team full of guys who are good defenders, you do see that defense crater. Though they are completely lost without the guy that both gambles, but also almost always makes the right plays. That's both on the perimeter guarding Rajon Rondo, or just straight up ISO against Anthony Davis on the baseline, right on defense. So. He is so much of their identity on defense because um, if the Warriors, like with, with just Steph, the Warriors can win a shootout, uh, win a shootout, right? They'll win one, like yesterday, 120, 110, or they even get 130, 120, right? But with Draymond, he, he, he's able to ignite the fast break, which is really, I mean, you look at all basketball teams. The fast break is the best part, right? Anybody that can, uh, anybody that can get in the open field and the open court, nobody can guard them. But with the Warriors, it's different because you get them in the open court. It's not a dunk. 
You get him in the old court, it's not two points, it's three. And the three is automatic to the point where it's Steph, Clay, and KD in transition. That's money from three every time. So that becomes if Draymond is able to play defense and get stopped and get him running, those threes pile up and all of a sudden you're down 17. You just went from being a one-point game to being down 17 in a, you know about four minutes, which is kind of what happened yesterday where the Warriors were up by three with seven minutes to go. They play that small lineup with Draymond to five, and they're up 12 in about two minutes. So that's one of those things where they'll just, they'll just end you in that time span. And that, that's, that's Steph, that's KD. Those guys made big shots. But really, most importantly, that's Draymond there making, making steals, making stops, getting rebounds, right? That's, that's – I would say, in terms of identity, I would say Steph is 50% and Draymond's 50%. Both sides, offense and defense. Andy, quick follow-up. Uh, you mentioned that Draymond Green is kind of the cog that makes the, the Warriors' defense go. And you also mentioned that Klay Thompson's kind of going to shoot better, and then you might have somebody like Steph Curry or Kevin Durant regress. Uh, another way that, that this matchup might return to the mean, we've seen like the free throw disparity 59 to 20, and we've seen foul trouble from you know a lot of the Pelicans. And, and at some point, it's got to return to the mean, and we might see the referees kind of overcompensate it for what's happened yeah. in game one and game two. And of course the smoothie yeah. King crowd is going to, you know, uh, 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 facilitate that as best that they can. With that being said, should they pick on somebody early, likely everybody's going to be pointing at Draymond green and he's somebody who could find himself in foul trouble. Should that happen? What happens to the warriors defense? Oh, they're screwed. <laughs> I think, I think the Warriors are going down big in game three. They make a habit of this. Um, Usually in closeout games, if they're locked in, it's over. And I think in the last year, last year they had closeout games, they play well. So if this is a three one, if this is a three zero lead, and it's New Orleans on Sunday, that's that's over. That's gonna be, it's gonna get ugly. But game three is the game that I think the Warriors have a, a pretty solid chance of losing. I don't think they will, obviously, as a Warriors guy. But that's the that's the Pelican shot. I think Draymond is gonna pick up two quick fouls, like it or not. Right, he got away with some. Uh, you can you can argue that I don't think so, obviously from my perspective, but you can argue that I wouldn't say you're wrong, that maybe you should have got a technical or intentional or something, but, or at least you know some type of foul. AD should have been shooting free throws somewhere yesterday, right? He shouldn't have shot zero free throws. So at some point, he's not going to be on the floor. I think the Pelicans have to attack Steph Curry because Steph Curry's a good defender, but he's not locking anyone down one on one now. You might not want Rachel Rondo going at him one-on-one, but that's what Drew Holiday is for. Put him in the pick-and-roll with AD repeatedly, right? That's what the Cavs did in 2016. That's why they won the championship. Now, Steph is healthier than he is then, but you don't know that. We don't know that yet. Maybe he, maybe he is in 100%. Maybe they did bring him back too early. I would say no from how long they've kept him out, but you never know. And if you're in the Pelicans, that's your shot. You're not running. You're not going at Draymond. You're not going at an engaged KD. You're going at Steph on defense. And if you can get those two guys in foul trouble or you can knock those two guys out of the rhythm and you're shooting like we're going to assume here right that Darius Miller Etwan Moore Ian Clark they're going to rail threes like that's what it's just what I'm assuming home game big home game game three that's your chance so that that's those two things are usually what happens and the Warriors usually do go down about 15 or 18 or so by the first quarter second quarter like that that's probably the formula here for me it's just a matter of if the Pelicans can stave them off enough in the second half because at a certain point, the Warriors are going to lock in in the second half. And when that wave is coming, you're going to need someone to stem that wave. And, you know, that's what Anthony Davis is for, right? He hits a couple – One of the, I watched that whole Portland series. It was incredible. Every time Portland came, it was AD fade away from the baseline. It was AD lobbed to the rim. 
80 offensive rebound, right? All of those things are still possible against the Warriors with or without Draymond Green. So um, I think that's their best shot and they're going to have, and I think that's the game where AD is going to be like, yo, I'm not going to get swept. I don't care who it is. I'm a top five, top 10 player in the NBA. I'm not getting swept, right? So that that's going to be a fun one. I think game three is going to be really awesome to see kind of how Anthony Davis and, the, and really, I just want to see how he responds. You know, I was going to ask the same question to Grubb, but I think you covered it in such detail. I think we can go ahead and move along to Rajon Rondo. Quickly, Grubb, do you expect an impartial whistle on on uh, Friday, or do you expect the Pelicans will will uh, be the beneficiaries of what took place in Game 1 and Game 2? I mean, of course, I think the league will, you know, review the film. And, and when you get that kind of discrepancy, and I'm sure the Pelicans have sent their own tape in, um, to be reviewed and you have a couple of days between games two and three, there definitely will be some emphasis. Um, I think you, you, you know, there will be some looking at the contact on, on Davis to make sure that, they, that the, the forearms are not extended in his back, that people aren't placing their hands on him. Um, I think those will definitely be watched. And, and, but part of it too is the Pelicans have to continue to establish that identity. I mean, yeah, they score points in the paint, but we have to look at how they score their points in the paint. They get a lot of layups. Um, you know, so when they're getting those layups, a lot of them are not coming through contact. They're coming off drives and they're getting to the rim. They and the, and then the Pelicans are averse to contact. Anthony's been averse to contact all year. Rajon Rondo does not like to shoot free throws, so he he tends to overextend his arms to avoid contact and still try to make the shot. And um, you know, Drew Holiday sometimes will turn veer away from the physicality and the paint. The Pelicans have to remember to just keep going through, force the officials to make a call. If they're going to make the call, you're going to know really early on what kind of whistle it's going to be. So don't be surprised. And the second part of that is just, in general, you know, these are the champions. You will not outpoint them. You have to go for the knockout. And the Pelicans have to decide that this is it's not enough to compete with Golden State, that it, it's it's about winning these games. I don't think that's a problem. I think this team believes that they can, they can beat the Warriors. Um, I don't think they can beat them in this series, but I think this team feels like they can beat the Warriors. And so I don't think that's the biggest, be the biggest problem in game three. I think more of it is just continuing to attack, going in and forcing the, the officials to, to, to not call something. You make it indisputable. You make it that somebody should have called a whistle on something, whether it was offensive or defensive. And I think that's the mindset the Belkins have to come in, especially in the first quarter. Andy, there's something I forgot to address uh, just quickly. I know that our editor-in-chief, thebirdrights.com, was Ali Cosell. Uh, he was beside himself at the conclusion of that game, uh, basically just over the jump ball between Rajon Rondo and Kevin Durant. And I want to address a question that we have from okay. RR number nine. It says, I'm just wondering why the presser Gentry failed to take the refs to task for the huge disparity in free throw attempts, even though Holiday and Davis lived in the paint for 40-plus minutes each night, and a clear jump ball was ignored. It would have been worth the fine. And, of course, uh, in case you're not privy to this, uh, I think it was probably about six weeks ago. Maybe Grubb can tell us whenever uh, it was that famous game against the Houston Rockets where there was another free throw disparity. I think at the time the Pelicans went something like 40 minutes with only two free throw shots. And so Alvin Gentry, you know, just said that he wanted things to be called fair. Now, in this instance, I think a lot of people more so than the free throw shots were were unimpressed with the way the referee just kind of swallowed his whistle. Even though there was two seconds left, it wasn't going to matter in the grand scheme of things. Maybe the Pelicans, you know, steal the jump ball, get a three, and it just makes it a little bit closer than it otherwise would have been. Were you disappointed or taken aback that the referee just kind of let the clock uh, extinguish itself? Yeah, I So I was right there. <laughs> I was right there. Um, um, I was like maybe a couple rows up. That's three level one. I had the right – and the ref – I saw the ref look at it. 
And um, I, I actually don't know why I didn't call it. That should have been a jump ball. Um, I really, I, I guess the ref kind of just said, hey, it's a six-point game or whatever it was, two-possession game. If they call a jump or they call a foul, sometimes they end up just calling that a foul. You know, maybe that doesn't matter. So maybe that was the thing. I, I, thought, it was, I thought it was a little odd. The refs have been a little odd all year, right? So it's not just like that particular situation. I, I think it's just been a very odd year for the referees. Um, and I think the Warriors are one of the teams that have felt like they've been targeted by the referees, although, you know, you could say that about every team. But they felt like, hey, we don't get calls because we're a team that has an advantage in terms of talent anyway, so refs just end up not calling. Anyway, I'm not going to go into that. My thing with Gentry not saying anything is that uh, Kerr does the same thing. Kerr never – he rarely – I think – in the years that I've covered him, it's year four now, I've only seen him ever attack the refs in postgame once. Um, and I think as a coach, the reason why Kerr doesn't do it, and, you know, obviously Kerr and Gentry are close friends, I think they don't do it because they don't want to let their own team off the hook. Regardless of who is wrong or not, as a coach, you don't want to, be, you don't want to give off the impression to your team that said, hey, well, it's not our fault that we lost, it's the refs' fault, right? Even if, even if that's the case or not. You don't want to make it seem like, hey, we would have won if it wasn't for the refs. Because at the end of the day, if you lose, that's on you, right? Oops, sorry. No, no but worries. If you lose, that's... Oh, sorry. I don't know what happened there. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, if you lose, that's on you. You don't want to say, hey, you know, this is the referee. He messed up. He didn't call a jump or whatever it is. So they end up not saying anything. And believe me, Warriors fans, when Steph doesn't get calls, they just lash out at Steve Curry when he doesn't say anything in the postgame yeah. press conference. So, so I get that. And as a fan, when I'm watching in the heat of the moment, I say the exact same thing. But I can see where they're coming from because they're just going to say, look, we lost. That's on us. Right? We didn't lose because of, the, because of the rest. We lost because we weren't able to shoot. We turned the ball over. We didn't play good enough defense, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think that's why Steve Kerr does it. Um, I could probably assume that's why Gentry does it as well. Um, but, hey, I mean, listen, I'm happy for Gentry. I'm so happy for him. He, I, when, when he was on the Warriors, he was he – was, he helped make that offense great. He helped make those schemes fun. Um, honestly, the offense has been less creative without the guy. Um, and man, I'm glad. I'm glad he's succeeding. I'm just, I, I'm just happy for the guy. He's such a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, there's a great article uh, right now up. I, I don't remember who wrote it. I think Fletcher Mackle. Maybe it was just a tweet. He was basically saying how yeah. whenever the the Pelicans hired Alvin Gentry, how tough he was on him, and how he gave him such a hard time, and how he thought he was the wrong coach for the job. And Alvin Gentry was was simply uh, just killed him with kindness up until the point where the Pelicans were finally <laughs> successful. And now it's just a really good story that you've got this great guy who seemingly doesn't want his name announced at Pelicans games. And he said, uh, and I, I don't have the quote. In front of me but something he got he got booed at one point uh early in the season and last season and so he told the guy at the pa system he said don't announce my name and he said now that they're doing well well i'm not gonna you know reinstitute my name just because we're doing well versus when we're doing bad no i'd rather just take the attention away from myself altogether so by all accounts uh just a wonderful human being somebody you know the most dynamic of personalities can still resound with and listen to rajon rado demarcus cousins all these guys listen to him so he, he does have a special skill for getting guys to buy into whatever his system is, whatever you want to say about his his coaching uh, offense versus defense. Dre had a funny quote. He said, Jen will tell you he doesn't care zero uh, about defense. No team ever won zero to zero. I really enjoyed that quote. Uh, but while we're talking about good feelings and friendships and all that stuff, we're obviously going to transition to Rajon Rondo now and Grub. 
I want to talk about some of the chippiness just because I generally don't enjoy this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, Nikola Meritich getting in Dre's face, Dre tackling Anthony Davis, uh, Rondo with the with the sweaty ball, the free throw shot, the flagrant from Solo. Uh, we can discuss whether or not it was a flagrant. I know what he was trying to do, just wrapping the arm around the shoulders, what made it dangerous. And then, of course, the, the Steph Curry trip of Anthony Davis, which is difficult to see. Everybody is convinced that he purposely tripped him, but it's behind some guy's head. I really couldn't get a look at it. Uh, my question to you is, are you nervous that things could escalate through this series? We, we see that these guys are getting heated. We also know that many of them are very close friends. With that being said, it seems like with each game, the intensity just gets a, a bit higher. Are you worried about it spilling over? Um, not yet, because I don't think anything has been particularly dirty. Um, you know, you can have what, what, what AD and, and Dre went through, but it seemed it was more like the two of them were annoying each other. Um, you know, Draymond clearly, you know, kind of instigated that from, from my perspective, but I have great respect for Draymond as a player. I don't think of him as a dirty player. I think he, he will go straight up to the line and sometimes stand on it, but I don't view him as a dirty player. Um, I think he's plays, you know, he's always played the same way and he's playing playoff basketball, but it didn't seem like anything was personal. I, I don't think that Rondo has the the feeling that he has for him, that he has for necessarily um, the way he attacked, attacked Isaiah Thomas. Uh, this season. Um, I don't, it doesn't feel the same. I think this just feels like, Hey, this is competition. And the Pelicans knew they were in a fight last night and they didn't feel that they were getting the, the, you know, a fair shake from the referees. They probably didn't feel like they were getting a fair shake, just being, you're the road team. And they didn't want to leave their O2. And so I think emotion should be high at that point. Um, But as long as, as long as it gets, you know, I don't mind guys, as long as it's within their character, I think it was a little bit out of character for Miritich, but we know Rondo and we know he'll stand up. We know he'll get texts from the bench occasionally. That's who he is. We know Draymond is an agitator. That's what he is. Um, But, you know, for guys to do it out of character, to try to be tough guys when they're not, um, I think it's something that would be detrimental. And I don't think Solomon Hill, his foul was in, I don't think it was intentional. I think it was part of the limitations of him physically not being able to get up. And um, I, I just think he he tried to to do something that he ultimately failed at doing. It was it's a flagrant by the letter of the law, but it wasn't a flagrant by him trying to hurt anyone. Yeah, and he's he's never been a guy recorded for doing anything dirty or, or really jawing at anybody in general. A quiet, mild mannered, uh, lockdown defender when at his peak. Of course, he hasn't been this season, but still praying that he'll bounce back because we really need him right now. Quickly, I just want to address Rajon Rondo. We talked about him being more aggressive, and he was just that in this game. Eight of 15, 22 points, seven rebounds, 12 assists, five steals. He did turn the ball over seven times, but with what he was asked to do in this matchup, uh, I hardly think you can blame him. I thought he played terrific basketball, and if the Warriors are going to are going to let him take those shots uh then then you know you got to live with that specifically that corner three or uh they're giving him about 12 feet within the basket to take his shot and i think you got to live with that one hilarious thing that i wanted to bring up i can't remember who was defending him i think it was steph curry but somebody had given him like a solid 10 feet and he did a quick pump fake and whoever the defender was literally turned around and ran to the basket for the rebound before Rashad <laughs> rondo had even taken the shot and of course after that he kind of chuckled and put it up. for sure and it, and it actually <laughs> did happen to go in uh, that time. And and he did shoot well from three-point on the night. He was three of four. So uh, I, I don't want to belittle his shooting. Uh, he played – I thought he played a terrific game of basketball as well as, I guess, being the Pelicans' enforcer at this point, standing at just about six foot one or six foot two, somewhere around there, although he does have a nice wingspan. Now we've got to move on. You guys have been giving me terrific stuff. Um, so let's start to wrap up, and we're going to wrap up by talking about adjustments. You guys have already done a, a great uh, job of telling who's going to bounce back, what they need to do, where guys got away from their game. 
Andy, let's start with you. What's one thing you expect from the Warriors that we didn't see in game two that you think they'll definitely institute in game three? Well, the, the easy one is they'll start, Steph. Um, what I think they'll do also, though, is I think Steve Kerr has had enough of kind of waiting until the last possible. Uh, actually, you know what? I take that back. I was going to say, I think Steve Kerr has had enough of taking, you know, not not making the final adjustment until he has to. Steve Kerr doesn't have a ton of things that he's going to change. He'll have some things here and there, but he'll also have always have one final adjustment, and that's to go small. And he always waits to do that until you force him to. Up 2-0 in the series, you would assume he's not going to do it. I don't think so. I think Steph, I think Steve Kerr is going to come into game three. I think their adjustment, not really an adjustment, but what that I think they're going to do is they're going to start Steph, they're going to bench Nick Young, and they're going to bring Kevon Looney off the bench, and they're just going to go with the small ball five with their best five, best five players. That balance is going to be bad because they're going to have literally six centers and then Quinn Cook and Nick Young and Sean Livingston off the bench, so it's not going to be great. But I think Steve Kerr at this point with – I mean, look, there's three days between games, Wednesday. Th- I mean, like, there's, there's so many days between, there's so many days off that he could play Draymond and KD 41 minutes last night, which he would never do. He's only doing that in the NBA Finals. But I think with so much rest, I think at this point, he's look, kind of looking ahead. He won't say he will, but he's going to put his best players out on the floor. They're going to try to end this thing as soon as possible so that they can get rest against the Houston team that they think they're going to have to go small a lot. So this works in terms of hopefully shortening the series. And the second thing is getting rest overall because they're going to have to do a lot of small ball next series. So I think that's their adjustment is, it's crazy to say, but I think Steve Kerr is going to play his best players and they're going to play him a lot, which is really, if you guys have watched the Warriors for the last couple of years, he kind of screws that up sometimes. So um, I think that that's his adjustment. And Andy, I think you posted something on Twitter earlier, uh, basically just saying the Warriors on the season, I think they were somewhere around fifth in pace, but without Steph Curry, they were somewhere around 18th with him. They were by far first. The Pelicans have been by far first in the past two months uh, since Boogie went down. They added Nikola Meritich. But if you look at the numbers with Steph Curry in the lineup, the Warriors go even faster than that. So to hear that they might go even faster in game three uh, certainly is going to leave all the fans in the Smoothie King Center dizzy. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, one thing the the Pelicans can do, obviously, in terms of free throw disparity, and I, I guess I should mention that it's the first time since 2015 that two teammates who shot over 20 shots didn't uh, didn't take a free throw attempt. Uh, just to get it out of the way, I'm sure you guys have all seen that statistic uh, to death at at this point. You've pounded your fists at it, and we can move on. But David, the Pelicans will get more foul shots in Game Three. I think we can write that down right now. But some of those minutes that went to Nick Young, 11 minutes, and uh, I'm looking at his negative rating of 11 in those 11 minutes. Those minutes are going to go to Steph Curry now. He just played 27, so you think he'll be upgraded somewhere around 30 to 35, and maybe they'll distribute the rest of those minutes to Nick Young or some version of Sean Livingston. So the Warriors are, are going to play better in Game 3, as, as scary as that is to say. With that being said, what can the Pelicans do to come out and get the crowd riled up and kind of uh, make this a series? I think they have to attack the way they did Portland um, and just continue to, 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 if you're going to push the pace, the three pointer is not the Pelicans friend. It hasn't been for the last month or so. They have not shot it. Great. They've gotten warm at times, but the three pointer by a general has been fool's gold for them. It's been about their pace and their defense. So the two things that they have to do to me 
Um, they did a much better job yesterday of closing out on shooters, making uh, Durant's looks more difficult, making Clay Thompson's uh, looks more difficult. He had to move his feet more than he probably wanted to. Uh, so if they can continue that and rebound at the rate that they did, they have to turn those opportunities into full transition. They have to get a secondary break going when that first opportunity isn't there. If you're going to shoot it within five to seven seconds of the shot clock, you can't just be the first shot you see. It has to be the first good shot you see. And so I think that will be a big adjustment for the Pelicans to try to find some more secondary action. Um, we've seen where they've done that um, in the Portland series. There were times when the offense would stagnate and Gentry would make that adjustment. So I think there'll be a re-emphasis on, on player and ball movement. I think Solomon Hill may see fewer minutes, um, and Czech Diallo may get a few just to, to be in there to, to show some activity. I think that's what Alvin, Alvin Gentry needs at this point is just a, a little bit of an infusion of energy, especially around the rim, and maybe some cheap fouls to, to have another awkward kind of guy in there to play against Draymond and maybe pick up a, a foul or two. Uh, and I, I think that that's something that you'll see a little bit more of that there'll be some utilization. But as far as the guards, um, I think there's going to be, I mean, we could be talking 43, 44 minutes for Drew Holiday um, in game three. And I think he's going to have to spend most of his time. Actually um, it's, it's, that's the difficult part. Uh, You know, when Curry checked into the game yesterday, one of the biggest things that bothered me was that immediately, you know, you have to check him from 30 feet beyond and in. And the Pelicans allowed him to get his first shot with space. So if Drew's going to be out there on Curry, then he has to close that space. And does that get him uh, fatigued running through those screens? Or do you leave him on Thompson and hoping that you can keep Thompson to another subpar performance by being physical with him? That's a big decision that they're going to have to make defensively. Yeah, I don't think anybody expected Steph Curry to make a 30-foot 30 uh, 30-footer in his first minutes in six weeks. But uh, he he sure did come in hot. Uh one thing that I wanted to mention before we go, uh, it just in terms of free throws, I think that one thing that a free throw shot can do uh, in and of itself has helped us establish a rhythm. And I think it did that for war- four Warriors players who each got over six shots. And those were Kevin Durant, Andre Iguodala, Draymond Green, and Steph Curry. It just establishes a rhythm. Just seeing the ball go through the basket, I think that's something that could alleviate uh, some shooting woes suffered by Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday. And maybe a couple of those balls that rim out, maybe they go in in game two. I, I don't have Drew Holiday's three-point shooting in front of me he was two for nine on the night so maybe that affects some of the three-point shooting Nikola Miritich we'll see but this has been great stuff from you guys thank you so much both for your time again you guys have been listening to the bird calls tomorrow we're going to be back uh, with our final preview before game three with Will Gullery of TimesPicune and NOLA.com and then uh, we'll just have to wait until Friday night to see whether or not the Pels are going to make this a series I've been Preston Ellis thank you to David David is there anything you'd like to sign off on before we let you go yeah, you can check out uh, my analysis of, of game two on crescentcitysports.com right now. And um, I'll be on KYOK in Houston tomorrow at uh, 1220. Very cool. And Andy Liu, uh, of course, you can follow him at Warriors World. He is also one of the two hosts to Light Years Podcast. I'm going to try this again with Sam Esfandiari. Gosh, I can't do it. Follow him <laughs> at Andy K.H. Liu. Uh, Andy, tell us a bit more about yourself. Where can our readers find more of you and your work? And what do you hope they look for first in advance of Game 3? Oh, man. It's, they can, I, write, I write on Warriors World. Um, I don't know if guys are listening might want to. Actually, I don't. I don't slander New Orleans that much just because I love 80 so much. So uh, yeah, enjoy the follows um, uh, on Andy Cage, obviously on Twitter.com. Um, that, that, that one's fun. 
And, um, yeah, no, something to look forward to in game three is, like I was saying, man, this is going to be Anthony Davis's game. I'm really looking forward to it. The Warriors are unable to guard Anthony Davis for the past four years. And really, if you are a fan of the, obviously you're a fan of this team if you're listening, but that's <laughs> the guy that, like, you think of Kawhi Leonard, right? You think of Giannis, you think of LeBron, I mean, LeBron obviously, but he's in his own tear. You think of James Harden, right? You think of all these guys that the Warriors have taken down um, as the one singular superstar of that team. And the Warriors really, I mean, Harden has scored on them, but he struggled. Kawhi, you know, he's great, but he struggled a little bit as well, right? Giannis, I mean, he's still probably a little too young. Andy Davis is that guy I think the Warriors respect most among the superstars. Um, so I, I truly think he's, he, if not 1A, 1B, right? Somewhere there, the Warriors respect that guy so much. So I think that's, that's, that's one of the things that like you're saying with Draymond, they're obviously getting into like some tussles and things like that. I don't think it's going to get beyond that just because those guys respect each other so much. So I'm really, I'm really looking forward to game three. Um, I wish that Cousins was playing. I really do because while the Pelicans play fast, um, they, they do need to slow it down. And Cousins is a guy that helps. I don't know how much it would matter, but I think I wish that he was playing as well. I got really sad when he was he tore his Achilles. But um, no, I I just I can't stop gushing about Anthony Davis. So you probably should cut me off at some point. But that's about it, man. <laughs> yeah, I'll never stop anybody gushing about Anthony Davis. Uh, he's, he's a superstar in every respect of the word, uh, both on the court and off the court. I don't think you could find anybody across the association who could find a negative thing to say about Anthony Davis. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel like just like the Warriors with Steph Curry, it's it's nice not yeah. only to have a guy who plays fantastic basketball, but uh, a guy who can kind of be an ambassador, not just for the sport, but also for your city. And uh, I, I, for one, feel so super privileged to have guys like Drew Brees and Anthony Davis uh, leading New Orleans into these national storylines and spotlights. So definitely feel feel great about his future. And like you said, if he does want to be considered as an MVP, a realistic candidate, this is an excellent platform for him to get that conversation started, whether or not the Pelicans win this series. If they can take a couple of games and he comes out and shows out and establishes himself as the best player on the court, something that we were hoping that he could do follow, following that Portland Trailblazers series, if he can do that, then suddenly you go into the offseason and maybe this is a more alluring uh, landing spot for some guys who are who are looking across the landscape of the NBA with no place uh, to call home at this point. But you guys, thank you so much. Great stuff. A heartbreaking loss, but it's not over just yet. You know, the old Dodge, whatever it is, the series doesn't start until somebody loses a home game. <laughs> that hasn't happened yet. So we still have time yet. We'll we still have a chance. You're saying there's a chance. That's the quote. We'll see if the series starts on Friday or if the Pelicans can keep their storybook season alive. For now, let's go Pels. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the bird calls on OTG and nothing but nut here on Dash Radio. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. 
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Geico presents Yikes! Another voicemail from your roommate. Sup, roomie? Hey, a pipe burst in the basement. It's completely flooded. Anyway, I called for someone to fix it, but in the meantime, I was thinking we could finally have that indoor pool party we've always wanted. I got some cool swan floaty things already going. Could you pick up some chips on your way home? Later. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected. Like if your roommate isn't the brightest pool float in the flooded basement. Visit GEICO.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance.